I'm going to get started now. Thanks, everyone, for coming. This is episode four of This Week in Markets, again, sponsored by at RetroSend or RetroSend.com, quality finance apparel. Check that out. Now, today I'm going to do a little different uh, style. What I'm going to do is a little bit more structured, so I'm going to give someone a topic to talk about and then make sure that they're talking at under two minutes um, or they're two minutes or less. So I'm going to time it as soon as you kind of start. And then once it gets to the two minutes, I'm going to try and cut you off and then move to move to the next person just so we can continue to, to keep it moving. Um, Chad, yeah. just a thing, maybe at like 15 seconds, just throw up like a 100, 100. emoji or something. Yeah. Just so people know. Absolutely. I will, I will definitely do that. So, uh, I just want to keep it moving so we can move to other either other speakers or next topics. And then also I have I have to I guess Wolf and I signed up for a uh, the office screenplay, I guess, read through with with uh, someone. So we have to do that exactly. Nice. At six. So, uh, you know, we have to make sure that this is under an hour as well. Um, but all right, uh, I will go. I'm going to go over to you portfolio to start here. Um I know we continue to touch this every single week, um, and uh, unfortunately, it's obviously still here. We touched a little on on it a little bit yesterday. Uh, the Delta variant. Just a little facts here: seven day, seven to fourteen day average here is cases are up by one hundred and ninety five percent. Hospitalizations are up forty six percent, and the average fourteen day for deaths is forty two percent. Still, any comments on that? Are we still good? I think uh, the commentary hasn't really changed from week to week. I think that people are now starting to add in some of that risk back into the market rather than saying that it's not going to be an issue. I think Wolf uh, Wolfie mentioned about uh, potential lockdowns in uh, L.A. I, I don't think there's been anything definitive, but they've put the mask mandate back on. And I think from last week to this week, my opinion remains the same, that it's uh, it's going to be a severe headwind in the next coming months. I don't think we're going to lock down, but I think that uh, let the money keep flowing in. That's my view. And there was also, I saw today is on a story for L.A., uh, for us specifically, there's a ton of pushback on the mask mandate. It's not lockdowns, but it is masks. Uh, they're going back to mask mandate. There's a ton of pushback. Uh, from small businesses and, and a number of different people that are, you know, obviously extremely pissed that we we they took it off. Now they're bringing it back, but it's understandable given that the majority of the areas that are seeing huge spikes um, are with people that aren't vaccinated, um, and that's really the issue. Is the unvac the unvaccinated people are really having a lot of issues with uh, obviously this Delta variant. Um, Wolfie, do you have any last comments on that? I didn't want to take too much time on the Delta variant, but I know it's I still a huge story. I got a hot take for you. Yep. Uh, the Delta variant's bullish. Um, so if you go back yep. to go back to when COVID first hit, uh, we started putting out pumping out money, and the Fed was uh, printing cash, and everyone was trying to suppress the curve. Uh, the two goals that we had was we had to get um, the death rate down, and uh, number two was we had to get herd immunity. So what, what the Delta variant is doing is it's affecting people who aren't vaccinated. So more people are probably going to get vaccinated if they're afraid of it. Um, number two, it's not really affecting people who are vaccinated, like they're getting sick. It's just like a mild illness. 
and then just kind of they move on. So the death rate's not increasing. Um, so what I think it'll do is people who haven't been vaccinated probably give them a jolt in the arm to go get vaccinated. They're going to start putting up signs like you can't come in unless you show proof of vaccination. That got held up in the Supreme Court, things like that. So people, more people are going to get vaccinated. And then any sort of, um, you know, tightening or anything like that um, from a, a fiscal perspective could ultimately kind of get slowed down a little bit and be a little bit more accommodative. So right now I got a hot take. My hot take is as long as Delta is not uh, killing people that are vaccinated, it's actually bullish in my opinion. Yeah, I would, I would have to agree with that if I can just jump in for one second. Uh, the other day, Bill Ackman was on uh, CNBC talking about Pershing Square, but of course he you know, talked a little bit about Delta after his you know, hell is coming thing last year. Um, and his point was pretty much that if you're unvaccinated and unwilling to be vaccinated at this point, um, it, having a mask mandate is almost counterproductive right now. Because the, wouldn't the idea be, if you want to get sick, go right ahead, um, and we'll reach herd immunity much faster. And as uh, may, as uh, how do I say this, as morbid or crass as that may sound, um, I, I truly think that's kind of where we're at now. Everyone's pretty much had access, at least in the United States, to a vaccine. Um, if it's not going to seriously... Uh, cause death or illness for those who are vaccinated, uh, we should be moving on. And I don't see any reason why uh, this would cause any turmoil in the market specifically. Got it. Got it. And then also I want to finish up with uh, something that Wolfie actually put in his discord. So just to, to add a little bit on, if the net result is more rapid herd immunity and no real impact in terms of consumption, as well as, as a more dovish policy path, then that would seem more net bullish factor for risk assets. So obviously it doesn't, it does represent some degree of added certainty, uncertainty, and the picture could conceivably change, but that's how I view the situation that may imply we have a discount. We have discounts in cyclicals and commodities and a premium in sovereign debt. All right. So we'll move on in a second. Just quick, just quickly on, uh, on the same point. Um, You know, I just track the UK every day. Um, UK deaths are at 73 um, that's 73 people today. And if you look at new cases, you know, they're at 43,000. Um, so I really think the, you know, the deaths are, you know, I don't want to echo, but deaths are what w- are what's important. And I think I was the first one who said that last week. And even the week before that, in Texas, 99.5% of the people who are entering the hospital or are passing away don't have the vaccination. And that was published by, you know, a Texan, um, the Texas Tribune, um, which I don't think is a leftist paper. So, you know, take it for what you will. And then in Scotland, um, you know, cases have peaked and they're down like 25% from, from the local peak uh, a couple weeks ago. So I think the UK, if you look at like the dailies, the UK kind of looks like it's flatlining as well. Um, so I, I don't think that we're going to have shutdowns. I think that, in fact, I'm seeing I'm reading articles about people in the South, um, in Missouri and Louisiana, actually getting vaccinated because now they're scared. And you know, countries. I think the emerging markets are more at risk than 
countries that do have access to vaccinations. So I think actually it's, it's very bullish because you don't actually have the shutdown risk and you have, you know, the fact that there will probably, the tapers probably pushed off. Um, and, you know, actually some of the inflation risks that we are fearing, um, you know, probably will be more muted as the emerging market demand for commodities like oil and iron ore and steel. And, you know, that will be a little bit lower, I'm assuming. So, yeah, um, I think it's very interesting what happened. Yep. Yep, definitely. All right. We're going to move on to the next topic. I know, Jay, I'm actually going to go with you for this question uh, because you wanted to talk about earnings. We had a huge kind of spike uh, on on uh, social media companies earnings. Uh, Snap is up big. Twitter, Twitter is all right. And then Facebook as well um, on these kind of earnings reports. Do you want to want to comment on that? Yeah, absolutely. Like even before the social media earnings, you know, I think my last post was, I think as of yesterday, you know, eight per seven, eight percent of the companies had reported the average company beat, or, you know, eighty six percent of companies beat. I think earnings are up like sixty percent year over year. I know this is a small percentage of you know the total companies that need to report, um, but you know this quarter could be you know the best quarter in terms of year over year comps. That doesn't mean next quarter is going to be down. It just means you know the rate of change. Um, you know, this might be the peak of the of the growth in earnings, um, which you know earnings have been phenomenal. I, I think this is the best earnings we've had in many years on a year over year basis. Actually, I think since two thousand nine. So, you know, that I think really counteracted the Delta variant fears we had. We, we had like a one day sell off. Um, let's call it the one and a half percent major indice crash. Um, and individual investors came in, bought everything up, everything, you know, SE, companies like SE went to all-time highs again. And now we have social media companies reporting today. I mean, there were some misses, right? We had, you know, um, alcoholic beverage company miss, a large alcoholic co- beverage company missed today. You know, I have a view that hard seltzers have been taking market share away from that industry for, for years. We had Intel miss today. IBM is always a mess. Um, but, you know, ad spend is, is really strong. You know, you saw uh, Ned talk about brand spending coming back at Twitter. They they crush it. And more importantly, is the outlook for 3Q. That was very strong. You saw Snap revenues up like over 115% year over year. Their outlook was strong. Then, you know, you can see some follow through with Facebook um, going forward. You know, pins isn't as clear, but, you know, ad spending is is coming back. And especially on the brand side where Twitter has more exposure. So I think, People were pleasantly surprised there, yeah. um, but uh, but I'll stop. I think that was two minutes. Yep. Yeah, and then uh, Wolf Financial. I know you uh, you uh, brought brought up this topic. Do you want to make a comment? Yes, sir. I've just been bullish on social medias for a long time. I think that you know the pandemic pushed all these people to understand that this was the way that we were going to communicate. Like Chad and a bunch of the guys up here. Like I feel like we're all kind of like friends. Like most of my friends are on the internet. Um, I spend several hours a day on here. I'm very bullish on it. I've been pushing Twitter very hard. Um, I tweeted several times that I took calls when Twitter was low 50s, and uh, I took a couple hundred percent gain on them. Um, there were leaps, and you know I'm sad I even sold what I did because I, I missed this the spike today. But I've been pushing that for a while. I'm up 480 percent on Snapchat right now. Uh, my average cost is 12 dollars and 50 cents. It was the first stock I ever bought. Um, years and years and years ago when an IPO, I literally created a brokerage account to buy Snap like half a decade ago. And 
yeah, I mean, I've just, you know, there's a reason I'm building a social media. I'm very bullish on this area. Awesome. awesome. And, and nowadays, you know, like, it's not just like your social media where people come to engage and speak. It's the whole ad business. Like Google is an ad business. You know, Facebook is an ad business. There's, there's like a massive opportunity there. People don't like try to like put print ads in newspapers anymore. So you're catching so many different streams of revenue. And that's why Twitter just popped today was because they showed that they can increase their streams of revenue um, and they can innovate. Now we have audio social media, um, you know, visual social media, so many things coming in. So it's just uh, my opinion. And there's certainly there are areas that are problems within it. And there could be regulation. And you have to keep an eye on that. But that's why I hold a few because ultimately there's going to be some massive winners in this area. You know, it's funny. I was on a casual space last week or just this past week with a bunch of people on here. And I was telling them how I got on a Zoom call and I was talking to uh, my manager and um, and he he asked me a question. I responded and then I went on mute and then he responded again. And then I went to go push the 100 emoji as if I was on a space and it wasn't in obviously Zoom. And I was just like, it just speaks to how much time I've obviously spent on spaces. That that's my first reaction. So I thought that was funny. Uh, but but uh, King, I want to go over to you. Do you have any comments on on these uh, social media moves or just earnings in general? And if not, we'll go to uh, portfolio. I know we talked about this as well. Honestly, I haven't dug too much into the earnings yet for today. I need to uh, I need to go through and read on things before I start making comments. Got it. Yeah, got it. I can say pretty much the same thing. Uh, my my general uh, notes are it's bullish for everything, right? I was kind of in a spaces right before close, and we were talking about this and. I was almost debating just grabbing some, you know, Twitter, you know, lotto Friday, you know, one day to expire calls or something like that. Just see what happens. And uh, what do you know? It spikes up. But I think the expected, I think the expected narrative with Twitter is, you know, it's going to dump right around earnings or right after. Um, So to see it bounce a little bit here, that's, you know, very bullish. And I think after hours we see Facebook, uh, I think Snapchat's up as well. So, um, I, I think one of these companies delivering good earnings is generally bullish for all the others. Got it. Got it. And portfolio Hawk, do you have a, do you have a comment on this? You know, I think um, I, I don't necessarily have a com- comment other than one saying, I think obviously there was a tailwind for all social media companies as a result of COVID lockdowns, et cetera, where people are confined to their homes. And so as much as I would love to see this momentum continue at the pace that it's been, at the velocity that it's been, I think that might um, taper out a little bit. And then the other thing I'll point out, um, you know, I don't, I don't track individual securities very often, but uh, for the lack of a better word, if you, if you look at um, high-frequency data and track uh, traffic and ranking on a global scale of websites, if we're on the topic of social media, I've noticed over the last several months, Facebook with earnings coming up next week has taken a substantial hit where this used to be a website that almost always was ranked in the top five on global websites with Google and YouTube almost always maintaining the number in one, one and two spot. And Facebook is no longer even in the top 10 at this point and Instagram being somewhere in the 30s. And so I think... Um, Perhaps there's uh, some digging around to do there to see what's happening and how that could be reflected in Facebook's uh, guidance and maybe not so much earnings, but uh, forward looking guidance. You know, one thing that, you know, is interesting that I've noticed is that 
across Twitter and Twitter spaces, I've seen less people in spaces, you know, people go on vacation. I've seen, you know, for the same headline speaker, I've seen fewer speakers or fewer listeners. And I've seen fewer, you know, retweets and likes on, you know, on kind of big accounts, you know, like SPAC guru. Um, for example, I just track, you know, a bunch of different accounts and I've noticed, you know, how many people like their stuff, how many people retweet it, how many people, um, are in their spaces and I've noticed, you know, fewer and fewer, it, you know, I think may it kind of peaked in may and it's been down ever since. So it's just an anecdotal, you know, they can still beat on ad revenue because CPMs are going up and they're monetizing better. Twitter just did a terrible job of monetizing. Um, so I think they had some operational issues. Um, but is it, it is interesting to see kind of engagement a little bit lower. Definitely. And I think uh, yesterday or maybe last week, we talked about this a little bit as well. I think that it was pretty visual when the market was kind of uh, dipping a little bit, that the engagement on Twitter was definitely lower. Um, I brought up stock. Talk oh, and also volume. Sorry, last yeah. point. I just think it's correlated. Volume today was like down 50% too. So it's you kind of see activity on FinTwit and you know market volumes are also very, very low. Got it. Got it. And then I brought up Stock Talk Weekly. Stock Talk Weekly, do you want to uh, highlight any earnings or talk about social stuff as well? Yeah, I mean, I kind of missed the bulk of your guys' conversation. I was doing something. But, um, you know, just the just general point on the topic of earnings, like I think that, you know, inflation fears, delta variant fears aside, which obviously, you know, as those flesh out, you know, as CPI data keeps coming out over the next few months, you know, we'll get more of a, a solidified narrative on the inflation side. And then as far as Delta variant goes, you know, if cases keep escalating, then I'm sure we'll get some fun on that side as well. But just with earnings specifically, um, I think that you're going to keep seeing this trend. Um, and this isn't like a new trend or anything. I mean, tech generally, the earnings have been better over the last 10 years than they have been for other sectors. But I think you're going to see more and more of a, um, you know, scaled difference between the beats on the tech side and digital companies and, you know, low, uh, low fixed asset companies that are, uh, Leo, get off me. Sorry, my dog is fucking with me that are outperforming, um, you know, companies in other sectors. And because of that, I think that, you know, you can potentially see a rotation back to speculation in tech later this year. I don't know how soon it's going to happen, but I mean, the market is so, uh, cyclical from the sense of like money flows and kind of follows these earning patterns. Uh, they're one of like the biggest indicators of where, you know, the next set of liquidity is going to rotate to. So I think people should be paying attention to like which companies are outperforming, how much they're outperforming by. And also like, what is the reaction to that? Because there are some sectors where, you know, a massive earnings beat is going to earn you a 2% move after hours. And then, you know, like we saw today with snap, um, you know, they're in tech and growth. The reaction is generally like scaled a lot more. Um, I don't know, like scaled a lot more intensely, you could say, I guess. So I, I just that was my just general comment on tech earnings versus the earnings of other companies that we're going to see. But I think that 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 gap between other industries and, and technology and digital companies is going to keep growing because I think that COVID like kind of left a permanent imprint of the efficiency of digital business versus you know, a capital and capital expenditure intensive businesses. 
Got it, got it. And last, uh, lastly, I want to go over to you, Wolfie, on this topic. Uh, lastly, and then we'll move on to the next topic. Um, so earnings are pretty rel- relative to expectations, right? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I think people have been negative uh, in general in the last week. So that ratchets down expectations a little bit. I think on a case-by-case basis, um, stocks can outperform and they could beat expectations. And I also think sometimes you'll get a situation where we had uh, a new normal in the pandemic and it's just kind of pulled, it was pulled forward because people thought it was going to be an isolated situation. And then that company finds something that works and just really executes on it. So if you just take a look at like Domino's and take a look at uh, Chipotle, for example, uh, they really crushed. So Chipotle in particular had their best uh, report in probably like four years. And ju- you just you just look at a chart and you'll just see how massive those moves were. And that's just a function of just like expectations. And, you know, maybe people thought that what they saw last year was a peak uh, in those businesses. Um, outside of that, I'm going to be a little bit, I'm going to take the other side of things. And I think that in the, in the back half, because of where rates are and because of where people are pricing things, that you might see selective uh, growth perform. So you see growth at a reasonable price, like the, the big ones perform. Um, and then some of the other tech names that kind of get ahead of themselves and people will start to position uh, for similar moves to what they saw in like Snap and, and Twitter kind of gets sold on the back of earnings. Um, but that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. That's there's definitely isolated events and definitely isolated circumstances uh, where businesses and consumer behaviors have changed. And I think those companies will continue to perform. Got it. Got it. All right. We'll move on to the next topic. Now I know uh, we didn't, or some of the speakers on here didn't want to get too deep into the real estate question, but obviously it is on the minds of probably a lot of people in the audience. Uh, We saw another spike obviously in, in some of the real estate pricing do we want to just, can someone just take a very general comment on it? And sure. Next uh, week, we'll really focus on it. So, I mean, just general question, and I'm literally paraphrasing from a piece on, you know, Freddie Mac that it's been over a week since I've read it. But, you know, I think on housing, now real estate, there's commercial real estate, um, there is industrial like warehouses, there's storage, Um you know, within commercial, there's retail, there's hotels, there's office, um, you know, there's nurse, there's nursing home, there's a lot of different categories, and they're not all moving in the same direction. Um, I think in residential, what at least Freddie Mac, I'll, I'll publish uh, this link on my Twitter, I think Freddie Mac has made the point that you know, last year, the gap in housing stock for starter homes um, you know, is, is the highest it's ever been. So there's like a 3.8 million mismatch in the number of homes that are available. At the same time, home builders have been building fewer homes since 08. So, you know, they're building over 250,000 homes. Now, a small home is defined as a home with 1,400 square feet or less. Um, it's, you know, let's say a girlfriend and boyfriend moving in or a newlyweds without kids moving in. Um, that construction pace, you know, by 2013 was the lowest you know, went below 125,000 and it never kind of rallied above 140. So the pace of new home builds. Very-
I think the had a call. the The pace of new home building has been very, very slow, and millennial at the same time, millennial ownership of homes has increased dramatically. So the percentages are millennials owned um, about thirty seven percent of millennials between the ages of 25 and 34 owned their homes in 2016. That was the low. Um, in 2004, it was almost 50, you know, 47%. So it's a 10% decline, which is very big because we're the biggest group of people out there, the millennial group. Um, I think, you know, I think it goes until you're like 42 or something. Um, and then the, that has increased from 2016 through 2021 back to the mid 40s. So that is like a huge swing in Delta. So you have demand for housing going up dramatically and you have supply um, not, agree- not increasing much at all. And you have rates that have been very low and mortgage rates just went back to close to their, you know, their six month lows again. Um, so it's an interesting observation. I think, you know, obviously this data is different by geography. You know, there's some areas that have, more structural deficits in housing stock than others, but it's also a zoning issue in the States. Same issue you're having in Canada, you know, because of zoning issues, Canada actually has more immigration than the U S but you know, you're having a, you're having increases in prices, not just because of low rates and, you know, worse underwriting and low down payments like you did in 06, 07. Um, here you actually have the, the biggest driver of housing prices is, you know, there's structural issues due to COVID and the second is the lack of supply. Got it. Um, Got it. Special. So, you would also. Would you also say that a lot of the supply is was COVID related? When you start mandating, you know, eviction moratoriums and foreclosure mandates, I mean, that literally is is, is supply. Sure. Not every You're right. foreclosure is uh not every foreclosure is a destroyed home because my bread and butter is that sub market. And there's nothing. There's nothing to buy because no, there hasn't been anything. We're to just buy. now. I bought foreclosures right. um, back in 2012 and 13. You know that lasted. That market lasted for five years. And I had my capital allocated in the stocks in 2009 and 10, 11, and then I moved it into foreclosures. Um, here now we don't have any. And um, but also, I mean, looking at delinquencies and looking at forbearance, those levels are also relatively low. It's not like we're going to have a huge deluge of foreclosures next year. They'll definitely go up, but I don't think it's going to be anything like 2008. I mean, by by oh, a huge I know, factor. But there's but right, but the back the backlog went up, so you do have inventories that have been piling up because it was there was kind of a natural yes. flow. You know what I mean? The court system, and besides the moratorium that's ending now, what on the 31st, the CDC said that they're not going to you know sort of do another one. Fannie and Freddie are still doing theirs till September, so those loans. And I'm not saying there's a lot of them, but if, if people who have tenants who are behind and we're not able to get relief, that's inventory that, that, that I believe. And I know I know it's not dramatic, but inventory is inventory. And also you have the, the, the a lot of the need was people moving out of the cities, going into the suburbs, right, with this whole commute commuting and, and Zoom. A lot of several, I mean, at least in my demographic, I mean, you're in New York, but I'm the same houses that I was servicing on the electrical last year are calling me to get back up to code. They're selling. So I'm seeing rows in neighborhoods in Jersey because they're like, yeah, I'm not commuting at five o'clock in the morning. I thought I was staying here for five years. So, so you're saying people who moved out to Jersey are now selling their homes after a year. So many of many of the ones that I service, not, I, I give you the time frame between October and January, I'm putting bids on some of them because they paid good money, but they had no relative of commute, right? There were city people. 
who didn't know what oh, community. Wow. You know, I, didn't, kid, I didn't even hear about that. That's interesting. I didn't know that. So I, I'm giving you just real life just from me. I mean, I, I don't know what the stat would be. It's probably, you know, the same five people in Jersey City. But what I'm saying is that a lot of major cities had people leaving, buying up. You know, they want you want your backyard and whatever. That demographic may go back into the city. Think about the real estate more. commission, like how much value they destroyed. I mean, paying 6% right. on both sides. I mean, I know they don't pay the city, you know. You, you don't pay the seller you know, pays the commission, but I mean, think about all the value destroyed. It's like 12% on the enterprise value of that. Property. Oh, it, it's crazy. But I'm just agreeing with you in the sense that low rates and lack of inventory is going to raise prices, right? You add a little bit of inventory that starts, that starts kicking it a notch. I think in my opinion, again, it depends on the demographic in the city you're living in. So Larry, just, just to chime in a little bit on that, um, forbearance and moratorium issue as of i want to say a month and a half ago the number of homeowners enrolled or landlords enrolled into forbearance programs uh from a lending perspective was north of two and a half million and um you know i I don't know what percent of that is going to actually result in a default and a foreclosure after uh the force uh forbearance grace periods have ended and who knows when that's going to be, whether that's another six Hawk, months. I, I, Hawk, to or... clarify, what you're saying is those, those are people that basically applied for help or or, or started the their people, default? People, pe- people that have deferred their payment. Understood. I just want to make sure I was clear on what you were saying. Gotcha. Three. Okay. Yeah. So um, I, I think the other thing is, is that in no way does this mean that, you know, you're going to see a flood of even if the eventual default rate is 30%. In no way am I advocating and saying that 750,000 or 800,000 units are going to come on the market as a result, because I think what we witnessed out of the 08 and 09 crash was that early on during that process, you saw inventory flood the market and it effectively, you know, depressed prices for a long time through 2011, 12, 13. And right around 13 is when servicers and uh, financers recognize this problem and they started gracing inventory into the market more slowly rather than flooding it and held it on the balance sheets because they realized that rather than flood the market, they can recoup a lot more if they held on to it, took on the carrying cost of the asset and eased it back onto the market. I also think it's important to note, uh, I noticed this the first time around whenever the shutdowns happened before all all the forbearance was allowed. Um, a lot of the inventory that was hitting the market since capital is so cheap, it was getting scooped up in two seconds because one, one of the main portions of my real estate investment business was finding off-market deals. And we have people hunting in all different directions, multiple marketing methods. And even with all the things we had going, yeah, we did see an uptick and inflow of potential deals, but it was only for like a couple months. And then it leveled back out again because all of the deals started getting scooped up by investors pretty quickly. I, I can't say that's how it is, you know, across the entire United States, but I can say for a fact around the major city that I live in, it, inventory was gone in like two months, two and a half months. Yeah, I, I again, I, I give you, I give just a reference because I think that that one of the things that, and, and maybe not an extreme level, but you have real estate money that can't get back into real estate, if you will, and it's in the market, right? You know, you you want to put your money to work and. You know, if, if the market is where the liquidity is, then you take it, you know, such as myself and the, and the people that I do real estate with. If there's nothing to buy, either you park it in the bank and do nothing with it, you put it in the market, you know, and, and, and yeah. make it move until you take it back to, 
real estate, which is traditionally a safer bet, if you will, depending on, you know, what you're investing in the market. So, you know, that, that does affect liquidity, you know, in the long term. I'm not saying tomorrow, or there's no, hey, the world's not coming to an end. But, but that has to be a reality when you're doing risk management long term in any type of investment. So I was going to say the three main things that I'm looking at currently right now as far as risk management is one, rates increasing. So capital becoming more expensive, underwriting standards becoming stricter uh, because in the beginning of COVID, uh, a lot of the places that were lending, they, you know, they would do 80-20s and then all of a sudden it's 75-25 or 70-30 for investors, you know, depending on you know, your relationship and how many deals you've done and how much cash you have, et cetera, et cetera. And then the other thing is, what would happen with the 1031 exchange if that were to go away? Those, those are my three main concerns currently. But to be honest, I don't, I don't think the 1031 is going to go away. They've, they've talked about doing that for years. They've talked about doing, uh, like closing like backdoor Roth IRAs. Like, I mean, they, they've, they've talked and talked and talked. I don't think that's going to happen. But increasing rates is actually something that's like top of my radar because eventually, when these inflation numbers continue to tick up it's going to hit the point to where they're going to be forced to raise rates and they're not going to have a choice. So just to chime into that, and I know we're way over that two minute limit, so I'll keep this to 15 seconds. Uh, if you look at how loans are being priced today, lenders are pricing them with the expectation of rates declining further. Uh, so I, I think at this point in time, the cost of capital concern is not necessarily one that, I'm particularly concerned about, and should we see a scenario where in the short run we witness that, you also have to keep in mind that for the first time in 40 years, we're seeing real wage growth in this country. And I think that can more than offset uh, the somewhat muted increase in cost of capital should we see rates creep up in the near term. Got it. Perfect. All right. So we'll move on to the next, we'll move on to the next uh, topic here as well. Um, there's also a, there was also a spike in used car prices. Um, King, I, I could have sworn you talked about this before, but I'm not sure. It might have been someone else. Do you want to comment on this? Yeah, I mean, um, there's a lot of issues in the car market right now. Um, first off, they don't have a lot of inventory for new cars. Um, so these, these dealers are trying to get anything on the lot that they can sell. So they're paying just insane prices right now. Uh, right now they're paying probably on average, I'd say about 20% above wholesale cost. So it's driving up the prices in the market. Uh, you also have subprime lending where these institutions are giving out eight and 10 year notes on like these shitty cars that are, you know, long past depreciated. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of issues surrounding that, but it's, it's, I don't know. I think it's a ticking time bomb. So when do you think this kind of ends? Is there an end to it anytime soon? Honestly, I think it's a lot like everything else. When, whenever we stop giving out free money to people that don't need that, you know, should not be able to pass underwriting, that's when this all goes away. And that it's it's bound to happen. It, this happens in every cycle. There's always like one or two massive things that everybody knows is going to come to fruition. We just don't know what's going to be the black swan that causes it or when it's going to happen exactly. Got it, Wolfie. Do you have a comment? Um, I think that. Used car prices are a really terrible gauge of inflation. That's just me. The one place that uh, the Delta variant isn't bullish is there are some of these, not third world countries, but um, undeveloped areas where some of these plants exist. So Toyota today said that they were shutting down three of their plants because of COVID outbreaks for three weeks, right? So 
in situations like that, it's not bullish and it can just kind of derail uh, progress and, and clog up supply chains a little bit. Uh, but outside of that, I, um, I don't, I think that the used car prices are a little trans like that is actually transitory because once you start having new cars and, um, and money gets a little bit less cheap than it is, um, then you kind of, you're going to kind of price out certain types of people and some other people are already going to have their cars. And then as always, like when, when people start to notice that used car prices are going through the roof, everyone wants to sell their car at once. You know, and I, I agree that I, I wouldn't use that as a gauge of inflation. I'm more worried for the companies on like the profitability side because the majority of the money made with car dealerships comes from the financing side. So if they have to increase, you know, the standards of the people that they're giving out money to, that's decreasing a portion of their revenue. And then on top of that, they're also paying higher prices on, on what they would normally pay a wholesale price on for used cars. So they're cutting their profit margins down significantly. Because if, if you're paying 20% above wholesale and then you have to mark it up to make a profit on top of that, you're getting close to the point to where you're just like, fuck it, I'll just buy a new car. You know what I mean? Because at least I'll get a warranty with that if I pay the extra 10 grand. Oh, I'm with you. I'm just saying that the inflection for the consumer ultimately resolves in favor of the consumer if they wait it out. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Over uh, to you, portfolio, for a comment. Yeah, I think I don't know uh, anything about the data related to the used car market. I don't know anything about the used car market. But what I can chime in on is stuff related to human behavior, which is anecdotal. And so take it with a grain of salt. But I think uh, used cars today are probably the worst gauge of inflation that I can think of. And part of the reason being, there's many families and individuals that had two, three, four cars that through the pandemic, when you stop using that asset, a lot of people got rid of it. We saw rental companies do the same thing. And you know, coupling that with the slowdown in the ability to produce, given some of the factors that Wolfie talked about, I think that's kind of what you're seeing. And, you know, I, I can't imagine a world in which um, our immigration policies are fairly conservative. We're not really producing that many more uh, kids are not necessarily seeing a big change in demographic where people are now all of a sudden becoming of driving age in droves versus the year uh, before the year before that. And so I don't see demand really changing other than in a temporary fashion for those that might have sold off that asset and are looking to get back into the market. Got it. Last comment over to you on this topic, Jay. Yeah, so I've been monitoring this a little bit more closely because I had a big position in Hertz through the bankruptcy. Um, the unsecured bonds, which converted into a rights offering, um, which is surprisingly done very well. But Hertz and, and Avis and Enterprise uh, control about 95% of you know the rental car fleet. You know, they defleeted by over 600,000 cars combined. Um, they're also they're actually these rental car companies. They're so under their inventories are so low that they're actually buying used cars. You have, you know, the individuals who moved into suburbs, you know, buying new cars because, you know, I have like three neighbors uh, who moved here from Manhattan. And I think you have the same issue in a lot of cities where people move to the suburbs. You know, if you don't have a car, you have to buy a car. Um, and that's, you know, one time thing. Um, so there's, you know, kind of short term demand increase at the same time you had a semiconductor shortage and you have 
you know, even uh, I think GM shut down a plant today. Their truck, their, they shut down all their, one of their models of their trucks, I think was completely shut down. It was announced today. I think you, you're going to have, as other parts of the world that supply parts, um, have supply chain bottlenecks. You know, this could last another few weeks or another few months, depending on how quickly we recover from this Delta variant. Um, but, you know, I think it's all kind of temporary in nature. Um, you know, when will it come, you know, will prices come down immediately? Probably not. I think they've plateaued. Um, but inflation is like the year-over-year change. So is our, do I expect next year car prices to be higher than this year? Absolutely not. Um, you know, I think things like lumber, things like car prices are probably, you know, are not the right, uh, you know, things to look at when you're thinking about inflation. But um, I do think these supply chain bottlenecks are, are creating issues um, across the board. I, I don't think it's, I think it's in agriculture. I think it's in textiles. I think it's, it's, it's across a lot of different industries. If you saw Unilever earnings today, I haven't seen Unilever gap down like this, um, you know, since, since February, you know, it gapped down over 5% on, uh, on the increase of materials going into shampoo, detergents, and ice cream. And it brought down its guidance materially. And I wouldn't be surprised if other uh, consumer goods companies um, actually, Gristides, if you live in New York, the CEO of Gristides had an interview, um, I believe, yesterday on Fox News. You know, I take it with a grain of salt because Gristides had a small, has a small footprint. But um, he thinks that gro- his average grocery price, and you guys can look at the interview, I think I posted it, is going to be up 10 to 14% by October, which kind of shows how the commodity prices that have rallied in on the agricultural side, you know, it takes a few months for those prices to go into the end products. So I think that's something that, you know, we're going to keep an eye on. If food prices go up, that would be a little bit startling, I think, for politicians. Chad, can I say one more thing? Yep. So I think the read-through for uh, the autos, uh, it's not just for autos. Like all all these inflation data points that we use are kind of like archaic. I think one of the main read-throughs is the semiconductor uh, shortages and semiconductor prices, because that has tangible effects across the spectrum, across the board. So everything from like TVs to LCDs to phones to everything, right? And I understand that different semiconductor companies make different semiconductors, but uh, there was a semiconductor shortage in auto manufacturing, and any of these slowdowns uh, across the board could, in any of those kinds of plants, uh, could have a bigger impact on inflation and how we see inflation than autos and some of the other stuff that we mean about. Got it. And before we move on to kind of my last topic here, uh, give everyone on here on the speaker panel a follow. They all put out outstanding content. So give them a follow. Um, continue to look out for more spaces that they're in, plus some of the stuff that they put out, newsletters um, and Wolf's app and a number of different things. So give these guys a follow. Um, and uh, yeah, and uh, so last topic is just kind of crypto. Uh, on Tuesday, we had a really productive or some would say not so productive Bitcoin and, and no quarter debate <laughs> with uh, Portfolio Hawk. George Noble is a great guy. Mike Alfred and, and Dennis. Um, this past week as well, we saw Jack uh, who said uh, Bitcoin is for world peace. Uh, and then Elon Musk said he owns mostly Bitcoin, but also some. Dirt what is Jack beer. smoking? Go ahead. I know. Uh, I don't know. He's seen some things with that beard. He's smoking uh, he's definitely Bitcoin. On something. 
Um, so yeah, Elon mostly smokes. I'm sorry, Elon. Elon Musk mostly owns Bitcoin, with some also some Dogecoin and Ethereum. And then Elon Musk says he pumps, but he doesn't dump. And then uh, again, you had mostly in the crypto markets it was sideways, uh, a number of different moves from 29 to, to 30 to 34 ish. Um, you had you saw a move down to 29 after the New, Jer- New Jersey Attorney General was supposedly supposed to send BlockFi, one of the bigger uh, crypto firms uh, that offer savings accounts and and, and lending and stuff like that, uh, a cease and desist over some of their practices. And then today also there was a report that Texas is supposedly looking into their their practices as well. So we'll we'll continue to kind of monitor that. Does anyone have any other comments on either the B word or the crypto? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, there's a positive incremental data point. I believe JP Morgan Private Wealth Management is allowing all of its clients to access crypto through its platform, which I think, you know, combined with the Musk comments, you know, resulted in a, a rally from from the lows. Also, JP Morgan was trending today. They're providing access uh, to their retail wealth clients to get access to crypto as well. Um, but it uh, looks like what King of the King, you want to want to comment? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if you've noticed, but like back a year and a half ago, two years ago, if there was news like that, that JP Morgan was going to give its clients access to crypto, there would have been a 20, 25 percent spike in price. And now whenever you see these things, it just feels like the hype train's gone. And because like, what do we what do we see? Four to five percent. I mean, for a speculative asset, if I'm if I'm risking it to get the biscuit, I want more than four to five percent. Got it. Friend of the king. Did you have something to say? Um, I was just going to say that uh, I I can't one the correlation with uh, the broader market, I think, is real and it's yeah I, I heard some people say hedge against inflation you know is for crypto that's always the thing um i i think it's still going to go lower the market could rally but you know uh, crypto being kind of the least valuable uh, asset class if we can even call it that really um uh, it's going to keep taking hits um but we're going to trend down here they're all tracking very similarly i'm just like glancing at some of the charts on finviz for the the weekly and monthly i mean they're all they're all running the same pattern so if, if bitcoin keeps tanking if it runs below thirty thousand, i'm i'm saying you know, bye bye to most cryptos got it wolfie yeah um I, that was just a pr hit for elon so they can save face with the bitcoin community so that everybody can have a like nice little kumbaya i'm in agreement with a bunch of people who have, i've heard in the last couple of days say that but the thing that gets me is the like things things are a little brazen for some of the people that are like behind or underperforming. Um, so before that, like Kathy Woods ETFs went out and bought a crap ton of GBTC, and essentially, like they did it at such a technical level that it, it seems a little coerced and it seems a little forced and it seems a little talk your book so that you don't lose money kind of thing um and you're like i don't know who said it but you're seeing that a lot of these moves are getting more and more de minimis so whenever in the past if you have really strong news or a really strong headline like that you'd see that really rally and then if you followed it up with jp morgan's allowing people to invest or access crypto you'd see a bigger follow-through and you saw a lot of that move just kind of get 
uh, buy the rumor, sell the news type thing. And I don't know if you, we've had so many catalysts in the last several weeks to try to push this thing higher and they've all kind of failed. And I think at some point you really need a catalyst or you need that washout. And I think we're getting to that inflection point soon. I don't know which way it'll break, but I think uh, without a catalyst, it's it, I, I wouldn't touch it. Got it. All right. Before I go to maybe one last comment from our panel, uh, we're going to go to uh, some quick Q&A for hopefully the last five to ten minutes. Just ask uh, one question. So request if you want to come up um, and ask a question. But maybe last comment, Wolf Financial, over uh, over to you, sir. Yeah. Uh, is this on just the uh, Jack and Co- Elon and all that? Correct. I agree with Wolfie. They were doing a little press for Elon. They were making it look good. They got Kathy Woods up in there. You know, she's a good face. They were just bringing together some of the different sides of it. And at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's that's what all this is, right? Anything that you're putting on social media and you're putting out there to the world and you're streaming it uh, is just to continue to build your audience and to build loyalty. Um, even the negative, you know, press back that you're going to get at the end of the day, um, just gives more likes and more views and more press. So it's just the same cycle. Um, so absolutely. I think that they should do more of this stuff, you know, and just put themselves out more in front of us because it's entertaining. And hey, I like being entertained. Got it. Question I, I, for I, Wolf Financial. I'm sorry to interrupt, but two second question. Wolf, do you think there's validity to have a dislike button on Twitter? I know you're big. You know, you spend a lot of time yeah. on, on this platform. They'll, they will never do it. Uh, ever, ever, ever. Um, I've spoken with the team at Spaces about, um, you know, trying to request more more emoji. It's not even, like, downs. And they're so hesitant. I don't know if you noticed, they removed, like, the hand emoji. Um, I, I We've requested thumbs up. We've requested hearts. And their response to me, I had a whole conversation, actually, with this guy who works at Twitter Spaces. He's like, we are just so careful about ever putting in anything into Twitter that can be used um, negatively. They're terrified of it. So they are never going to have a uh, dislike button. Uh, good to know. I have, I have just one anecdotal uh, ir- irony that I noticed. Um, Kathy Wood's really big on Twitter, really big on Zoom, and big on a couple of other things. And she sold a lot of her Google so that she can access and add to some of these positions. And I found it really ironic that they held that uh, B-word presentation on YouTube rather than some of the platforms that she's really bullish on. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm actually uh, not getting a request for, for questions. So I, I put this uh, question aside for potentially actually for Jay. Uh, Jay, I don't know if you've been, if you've been monitoring this kind of China slash DD situation, um, but it looks like they continue to face potentially even more penalties um, the stock kind of moved further down, and the crackdown can see, continue to seem uh, to come down as well. So, any comment on that on Chinese it, tech companies? This is really interesting. It's unrelenting. You know, there are a number of guys. Um, you know, Didi dropped another six point one percent today. I think. Uh, you know, I think at nine thirty. You know, I, I actually think that actually eight thirty. Um, they announced something else, but you know, this IPO is down 40% in, in a period of a couple months. And I'm frankly very surprised that the Chinese government is hitting them so hard. Like we're removing them from a ton of platforms removing them from WeChat. 
essentially their revenue growth is going to go to zero because it's the platforms, you know, just like, you know, Etsy, you know, Pinterest generates volume for Etsy. These platforms generate volumes and customer growth for Didi. And it's unbelievable that the company chose to list in the U.S. and this is the reaction. So I think, you know, even with Biden, I think we're going to have some escalations with China. You know, China is going to become the largest economy in the world within the next 10 years. And I find it very difficult. And companies like Baba are cheap, but I find it very difficult to invest in a lot of Chinese companies. On, you know, from a sympathy perspective, you saw Futu and Tiger fall, I think, like 7% today, not in front of a computer screen, but it was a pretty sharp drop. And I think some of the smaller cap tech names you kind of just have to avoid. Um, and some of the larger names might be cheap, but it might take years for them to recover. I mean, they may have to compound, you know, their, their top line in earnings to the point where they're treating it like single digit multiples to see really big rallies. I hope that's not the case, but I, I, I have been very dismayed by the Chinese government's reaction to tech. And I hope yeah. other countries don't follow suit. It's been it's been wild. All right, so still no uh, so still no uh, request. So what I'll do is this is kind of a last fun uh, thing before we close it out. Um, obviously, with the Supreme Court decision to kind of open up the NCAA um, rules on sponsorships and, and stuff like that for athletes um, today, there was just a high schooler. This isn't necessarily markets related, but just a fun uh, business related kind of kind of topic. There was a high schooler that took millions by signing with an agent. Um, hasn't even hit the NCAA floor or NBA floor yet, and he's making millions already. Does anyone have any comments on it? Are they for or against uh, high schoolers making millions off, off sports right now? You know, um, you this is just an opinion. I don't have education in this space. I don't have a background in this space. I don't have a network in this space. So hopefully, you know, it'll be interpreted as being unbiased. But, you know, the bodily risks – these young guys put themselves through and I, I played club sports in college just freshman year. And then I stopped because, uh, you know, wanted to do well in, in my coursework, but the guys who really went all out and played varsity sports, you know, even D three sports, they put themselves, their bodies at risk when they get injured, they have to go through weeks of physical therapy. They can lose their scholarships. They put, they have an unbelievable amount of stress on them and they have no lives. So, to say that, you know, these, these college, you know, coaches making millions of dollars, you know, and these schools, you know, making hundreds of millions of dollars through these franchises, through apparel, through ticket sales, you know, through media partnerships, I frankly think it's unfair that there is no cut for the people putting in all the grunt work and taking all the risk. Now, does that mean these guys should get, you know, two, three million in cash and ball out and completely ruin their careers because of how the incentives are when you're young. No, maybe you put it in a, in a trust and they can spend, they have money now to spend on, on food, on clothing, on travel, on their education, on books, in addition to the scholarship. And it's released after two or three years. Maybe they get a hundred K up front and the rest is released, you know, when they're, you know, when they graduate. So I don't know what the right, um, I, I don't know what the right structure is, but I do think they should get a taste. And I do think we live in a capitalist society and I, this is why I love America, and this is why my family came here, to give us all a chance to succeed. Um, I believe in capitalism, and I, I, I wouldn't care, I wouldn't bat an eye if they took, you know, $100 million of revenue that a university makes, and they took 10% of that, and they gave that to, 
to to players, but it, it should be done in a responsible way. Got it. And just anyone else, just yeah. a quick comment. I, I my quick comment is is uh, I, I think it's appropriate that that uh, you know that headline came up with the other headline of LeBron being the first active NBA player to top a billion in career earnings. Um, if the market's willing to pay these guys that much, and that's the amount of value that we perceive them to have, why not? And why should they be restricted for you know a certain period of time for? Uh, you know, an organization to essentially take uh, not just a cut, but all of it, right? And and choose what to do. And you know, uh, not that not that you don't get scholarships and education, but you should be able to profit off your own name and likeness and such and such uh, for your work. Uh, Chad, Chad, this is yep. this is right up my alley. I I would really I think you could make. Uh, a, a space or a podcast about this, and yeah. I'd, be ha- I'd be happy. I'd be happy to hop on, hop on with someone who has a, maybe some people, but for sure at least one person that has direct experience with this. And I got a lot of opinions, um, but there's, I know you're limited with time, so I'm just gonna refuse. Yo, Wolfie, no. why don't we? Uh, why don't we do a podcast on it outside of this? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, would love to do a space, and uh, I think we will for sure do it. Um, all right, so. Everyone again, give everyone a follow here. Wolf Financial has a has a great app. Download the app. You need you need to download the app. I'm not saying you want to. You need to. Wolfie puts out great content. He has a website. You got to check that out. Special sits. You have to check out his email newsletters. I'm sorry, his newsletter. Check it out. I'm telling you, you have to. King puts out a ton of funny funny content. <laughs> uh, Portfolio puts out great content as well. Friend. I love this guy. I've talked to him a bunch of times. Wolf Financial and friend, uh, I've kept up with all the people on here. Give him a follow. Um, but before I really, really close things out, I want to give final comment to everyone on here. So Wolf Financial, I'm going to start with you, sir. Final comment. Uh, definitely appreciate that, bro. I would have reacted with 100, but my spaces is acting up. So I can't actually even see the space right now, but it's still letting me talk. But appreciate you. We're working really hard in the app and you know, grateful to have you on there. And yeah, just very excited. Um, this should be cool with your next space. Having the uh, the office space, I am going to be doing a space with Greg at 9.30. Just a heads up to everybody. Um, and then last thing I will say is tomorrow, 11 a.m., I have a space with Jonah Lupton. We're going to be going over all the info you need to know for the FinTwit in-person conference in Orlando. That's going to be in October. So come to that 11 a.m. tomorrow, and then we're also going to talk some, uh, some growth stocks. Perfect. Over to you, Wolfie. Um, yeah, I'm going to put out, actually, I'm, my goal is to put out at least one video over the weekend to help people with this earnings stuff that's coming up. Uh, it'll be on my YouTube. It's just every time I cash, same, same as the handle here. Um, but I'm going to leave one, one little tidbit. So we, back in, back in like April, everyone was really, really negative. Um, some of the, the, the tech names and everyone was really, really positive. Cyclical growth and that, uh, excuse me, cyclical and banks and things like that. And we got to a point where people were pricing in uh, higher yields rather than lower yields. And now we're doing the opposite. So historically speaking, like materials and oil and a lot of these uh, names that people loved a few months ago that, ha- that haven't been performing well are at like historical relative lows to the market. And that's usually like approaching seminal bottoms and locations where you want to uh, kind of be a little contrarian, take the other side. 
So I know we all love tech. We all love all that stuff. But we might get to a point where we have earnings that are good and everyone kind of is like, all right, great. They were great. Now what? Um, and then the bat and then the rotation happens again the other way. And people try to rush back into like materials and oil and stuff like that. So I just want to say look out for that. Got it. Perfect. Thank you, Wolfie. Uh, again, check out his website right now. Check it out. Go to his bio. Check it out right now. All right. I'm going to go over to Special Sits. Everyone also, you have to check out Special Sits or Jay's newsletter. Link in bio. Check it out now. Jay, last comment. Thank you, Chad. Um, you just want to say, you know, follow Chad, follow, you know, follow at RetroSend. There are a lot of cool shirts and apparel on there. Definitely download the Wolf app. Um, I'm coming out with a piece on SoFi. So it's been a little bit difficult to model just given the lack of um, financial history, but I've been able to put something together that I think is comprehensive for subscribers. And then I also have a piece on L Brands that's doing a spinoff of Victoria's Secret. Uh, they filed a Form 10. There's a good amount of, of meat there. Um, you know, I'm monitoring that one for a sell-off, but I think Bath & Body Works has actually been compounding very surprisingly well, and it generates a lot of free cash flow. So it's something that I've spent time on. It's been kind of a hidden uh, it's performed extremely well. If you look at L brands over the past year, I had a tiny position. I wish it was bigger, but I hadn't, didn't have as much time to look at it. So those are two pieces that are coming out for subscribers. Um, and then I have a piece that was requested from me on Penn national. Um, so model about regarding Penn national is coming out the following week. So follow Chad, follow Wolf. Um, you know, thank you. Ever, all the good speakers here today. Um, love the discussion. Absolutely loved it. Again, follow Jay. Check out his newsletter right now. King, last comment, sir. Crude's going to 100. Oh, hell yeah. Portfolio, last comment, sir. I I have therapy in about 30 minutes. And uh, between now and when I have to leave for therapy, I'm, I'm just on retrosend.com. So I'll, I'll keep the comments for another time. You know, I really appreciate that, guys. Friend, last comment to you, sir. Last, uh, la- last comment, uh, check my uh, Twitter page tomorrow before pre-market. I'm going to be posting uh, my, my Lotto Friday watch list for some high-risk, high-reward calls. Uh, everyone definitely go buy, buy something from uh, RetroSend, and then uh, I'm going to be hosting the uh, after party after this space, uh, of course, sponsored by RetroSend as well. Hell yeah. Thank you all for that. All right. This has been This Week in Markets, Episode 4. Love you all. Give everyone on here a follow. Check out their link in bios. They all put out outstanding stuff. And look out for other stuff I'm doing very, very soon as well. Uh, tomorrow, doing an interview with uh, Pop Culture Math. He's, done, he's doing a, uh, a book on the game theory of The Price is Right. Interviewing him tomorrow. Sunday, Saturday, nothing. Sunday, I'm going to be doing a this uh, uh, pitch space. Pitch your startup slash idea space. We have three people that I've already confirmed, solid startups. So it's not going to be like newsletters like last time. Also, if you want to pitch in the future, message me and I'll get you up there eventually. We're doing this every Sunday, 5 p.m. PSD. Monday, we're starting our, our pitch your stock space uh, with some of these speakers up here as well. You get a ton of feedback if you want to pitch a stock. Uh, I have uh, already speakers lined up for that. Just a ton of great stuff. Look out for what I'm doing. Again, this is sponsored by RetroSend or RetroSend.com, quality finance apparel. So with that, I again tell you to follow all these guys on here. Have a great night, and I will I will see you all soon. Talk soon. And message me if you have any questions. Already. Thanks, Chad. Thanks, everyone. Thanks again, Good luck Sam. in therapy. Hell yeah. <laughs>